Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on our panel, we have Mark Erickson. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. A little bit of news. I think I mentioned the DevRev last time. I actually recorded a few episodes. They're up on Facebook, working on getting them onto a feed. So there you go. We have a special guest this week, and that's... uh, Let me see if I can do this right. Brujo Benavides. Perfect. Hello, everybody. Yeah. You can pay me later for practicing. Anyway... (laughs) um, so uh, we brought you on to talk about lessons from a decade of Erlang. And it's interesting because I don't know in the 30 or so episodes that we've done if we've really talked that much about Erlang. Have we, Mark? Not much specifically, just kind of in passing. It just is a reference point, I think. Yeah, I mean, I missed a few episodes. So I was thinking, oh, maybe I missed it. But I don't think so. Yeah, so this will be good. I'm very interested in hearing. So you've had like over a decade of experience. So it just, well, first, I guess, Brujo, could you just kind of give us a little bit of intro to who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been programming. I've been a developer for most of my life. I started when I was 10 years old with uh, I, maybe some, somebody will remember. It's QBasic. It had a game called Gorillas, and I translated that to Spanish because I am porteño from Buenos Aires. So that was my first programming thing. Then after a couple of years at school and whatnot, I started working also with Visual Basic, and, and I've been a .NET developer for 10 years until I was doing my thesis in my university, and I did that in Haskell. And somebody over here had a company that, that was advertising a job, a job position uh, for somebody who knew, who was experienced in functional programming. I was far from experience. That, that's just something for, for university, that's it. But I think I was the, one of the most experienced developers in functional programming in Buenos Aires, nevertheless. <laughs> so I went there and they told me it was uh, about Erlang. And I said I didn't know the language, but whatever, they can teach me. And luckily, uh, that was a company building a voice over IP software. So uh, telecommunications, like uh, the origin of Erlang in Ericsson. So it was not that hard to get my head around the language. And everything seemed to fit. Everything seemed to be built for whatever I was doing. So I learned there. But after two years, that company disintegrated. There was a crisis in the U.S. and then uh, they shut down the company, basically. So we were working remotely from here. We were one of the first in, you know, disappear from the company entirely. So when that happened, I already had my honeymoon plan to uh, as a trip to Europe. And I visited Krakow in Poland, where there is a, a branch of Erlang Solutions. So I went there, I, I said, hey, I have two years of experience in Erlang, what can I do? And, uh, and they gave me an intermediate test that I passed. So I went back home with that paper. I found Chad Depew, 
who was a, a blog author by that time, and he was founding a company called Inaka, and I joined. And that was, I think, the, the best decision I could ever make. Because uh, in that company, I moved from developer to some sort of position that Chad invented for me, director of engineering, and eventually CTO. And within that company that later on was acquired by Erlang Solutions, we developed tons of systems in Erlang, in different scales, in different waves, very, very different systems, all of them in Erlang. And eventually when Erlang Solutions acquired us, we kept on doing the same, but in mm -hmm. a larger scale. And last year, uh, Inaka was uh, closed by Erlang Solutions. It was like finished. And uh, the, the developers that were there decided to keep on communicating. And so we now have what we call a community and uh, we have our own stack and we keep on doing things. We maintain open source repositories, we organize events and conferences. So during the last 10 years, I built web services, what you can call RESTful application, messaging applications like Mongoose IM for the one that Erlang Solutions maintains, uh, some other kinds of servers. And now after Inaka, I'm working for Adrol and we build uh, the real-time bidding platform for advertisement and we build tools for that and maintain them. Etc. Et the, the last part would be my relationship with Elixir is because Inaka was always like looking for new stuff to do, always trying to use the latest things. So by the time I was a CTO, Elixir came out, and even when I didn't develop stuff myself, I had teams of people working with me and building messaging applications to some games, some other pieces and uh, some of the libraries we still maintain on our open source levels. So I'm, I'm curious, you, you've been doing Erlang for a while. Initially, when I saw the, the posting, I saw, for some reason, my brain said 10 years of Elixir, and I was like, is that even possible? Turns out, no. So where were you at when Erlang came, or Elixir came on the scene, and, and how, how did that affect you? Mm, I was, uh, as I said, I was a CTO at the Inaka. Also, mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if it was prior or after, but it was close to the time when Erlang Solutions acquired the company. And Erlang Solutions immediately saw potential in Elixir. We, we should say that uh, José and uh, Francesco from Erlang Solutions, they know each mm -hmm. other, they are yeah. friends with each other. So they were in contact from the very first days, the very first versions of Elixir. And that gave us the chance not only to, to try it out, but also to uh, be able to debug easy, more easily because we had contacts with the creators of the language. Initially, we took a cautious approach because our systems, the, the ones that we had built in Erlang were critical for several companies. Mm -hmm. And it was not, we were not into that, uh, hey, let's switch to Elixir right now with everything and risk introducing some bugs or, or performance problems or whatever. But we were, I would say, curious, and uh, we developed some open source tools. Uh, one in particular, I recall, it was a, a, a server to run Credo, the linter, on GitHub pull requests. That stemmed from a tool that we built, which was uh, Elvis, that ran a linter called Elvis for Erlang on your pull requests. So it was not so hard to 
migrate that to an Elixir version running Credo. And we got it running as, until, I think, last year because uh, René built his own continuous integration tool. So there was no need for us for hours. Mm-hmm. And it was also just to get our hands dirty, right? And then uh, Erlon Solutions started hiring more uh, Elixir developers, some of them coming from the Ruby community. And basically, my relationship with all that was I was managing some projects where some Elixir code was created, but I, I didn't build anyone. The first one I actually built myself was this year and working for Adderall. But I was in touch with the community of Elixir say in Erlang factories or other conferences or whatnot, or actually with, with Jose himself. And I love it. Like, it's a great step forward for me. Nice. Yeah, we've had uh, both Jose and Francesco on our various shows. I'll put links to those in the show notes. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting to see. You see, it's interesting to see that you took a cautious approach to adopting this new technology, even though you knew the people behind it. You knew what it was capable of. You had, you know, pretty good ideas. But yeah, it's production. So, so what's the balance now between Elixir and Erlang? Do you spend more time working in Elixir or Erlang? I would say 50-50. Actually, 45-45 because I also do Go, not because I like it. <laughs> but yeah, 50-50. Because uh, in Adderall, we have uh, huge systems built in Erlang that we are nowhere near to migrate. So we are still maintaining those, but also we are creating new stuff and that new stuff, we're building it in Elixir. What, what has changed in the last 10 years, you know, now that we have Elixir, but Erlang's still a language that people use as well. So, you know, mm, what's I changed in the, in the community? Yeah, uh, I, I, saw, I saw a progress. I, this is a very personal view on this. And also mostly based on what I see on uh, conferences and Slack and places like that. I I saw a change from when Elixir was first introduced to this point of a much acceptance, I would say, or the Erlang community is more open. In general, the Erlang people already developed or develops something with Elixir these days. It's like interchangeable. I, I see many, many strong Erlang developers also developing stuff in Elixir now. And in some cases, maybe for necessity or whatnot, I see people uh, started learning Elixir, developing their systems, but then moving on to develop some, some things in, in Erlang, some components, I would say. So I think they are much more integrated these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, from the Erlang perspective, last year or this year, I think this year, somebody finally created a, a proper river-free plugin to use Elixir projects in Erlang. I wouldn't say seamless, seamlessly, but kind of with ease, with enough ease, so you can actually do that. I actually did that a couple of times already, and it's nice. It's a nice thing. So we can now benefit from all the creations of the Elixir community in the same way that the Elixir community benefits from stuff built years ago in the Erlang world. So again, I think there is much more communion these days. I know there's been an effort to kind of make all of the Beam languages more compatible or interoperable. Already within Elixir, you know, it's uh, we're able to call into an Erlang 
modules just you know using like colon and the module name so that there's a lot of communication there but like i know uh like at the last elixir conf they were talking about the desire to make uh being able to get the help documents in a terminal from erlang and from another, there's another beamling beam language as well so i think it's i think it's neat that the community is not kind of fighting about it you know because i can see in, in in the early days it seemed like and i'd love to hear your perspective on this it seemed like that the erlang a lot of the uh the the guys who've been in the erlang community for a long time were a little bit like what are you guys doing here at our conferences about with uh, around the elixir people and, <laughs> and and so i don't know what has that been like for you seeing that transition from the erlang side like as as people started to come in like what's that been like look for for a couple of years before elixir came around there were other languages, other attempts at building languages on the Beam, and they all failed, is a strong word, but didn't kind catch of, on. Yeah, didn't catch on. <laughs> and, and that was partially the responsibility of the Erlang community as well, with the feeling of we already have Erlang, why do we need those things? With Elixir, I think the key for that not to happen was that when Elixir started, it already started with a lot of traction. So regardless of what the Erlang community said, the Elixir people started building tools and developing applications and frameworks and stuff that you don't get with Erlang. And, uh, and so they moved past that initial fear of change that Erlang community had and just moved along. I, I think my feeling is that maybe there was some fight, but the Elixir devs, I think they believed that, okay, these old guys, they, they, will, they will understand eventually. Just we have patience, they will get to it. And that happened. I still recall the day when I was working with Robert Birding and one week he was like, this elixir thing, I hate it. And the next week, and the next week he was, I'm giving a course on elixir. <laughs> and what happened, Robert? And, and he was like, I actually tried it. It's, it's amazing. And so, wow. yeah. I think also there is that the numbers are also a, a, a matter here because Erlang community is a stable number. Like uh, Tristan said, we are dozens, but we, we always were. We don't grow. We just are a constant number of people. Mm. And Elixir is growing. So it, it gets, uh, it has this whole feeling of, uh, you know, new people and new things to do and stuff. Nice. So what is your, like, have you had much opportunity to, you say you've been building Elixir and Erlang and like right now you're kind of split your time primarily between them. How have you liked or disliked kind of the experience of coding er, uh, Elixir versus Erlang? Hmm. I have my quirks with the syntax, but besides that, I like many things on Elixir and most of them are for the same reason. Elixir is both a young language and a mature language at the same time. There are many things that when they started, they created it correctly from day one. Mm. So for instance, one thing that annoys me extremely about Erlang is the, it's, it's super little, but, but it's a pain for me, is that arguments in different modules are in different orders. So the list is the first argument of the functions in the module list but the dictionary is the last one in the module dictionary. And the set is sometimes in the middle and it all like that because it was growing organically and to keep backwards compatibility, you cannot just one day clean them all, right? That doesn't work. 
Elixir had a, a head start on that. They saw that problem. And so when, when it was introduced, every object is the first argument, period. And to guarantee that, they added the pipe operator so that if you want to use that, you need to put it on the first. There is no discussion anymore. <laughs> and, and that thing is amazing. I love it. The consistency is one of my, of my favorite things there. And also the, the formatter is, is another thing I love about Elixir. It took us 20 years to get a linter working in Erlang. A linter, not the formatter, just a linter. Wow. And in, in Elixir, a couple of years, a formatter, and then no more discussions about where to place the things. I would say it's not the, the, the final style is not my favorite style. Certainly it is not, yep. but, but it's my favorite behavior that everybody writes the same thing and, and you can read the code and it's the same uh, everywhere. That's wonderful. So those little things that go beyond what you can do or what you cannot mm. do for me are amazing. I, I love them. And whenever I find something I cannot do in Elixir, I don't care. I use the Erlang parts and done. Eventually, I get a code review saying, no, that module in Erlang is now in a library here. Oh, so I change it. And that's it. I'm super happy with that. Uh, so I just wanted to mention, speaking of the code formatter, yeah, it's a recent addition to Elixir uh, that is built in and provided as the code formatter. And I agree. I don't agree with... It's not my favorite style with all the choices that were made. But I, I also use it just because it does give that consistency. It just kind of normalizes all the, all the ways that you can code. Cause I've, I've reviewed other people's code and it's like, I hate the way they do their indentation or it's like, that is not important for having a discussion around the code. Right. So I will just, I, I'm like you, it's like, uh, I'll just take the code formatter and say, okay, yeah, that'll, that'll normalize it. Even though like I might've personally chosen to do a few things a different way. It's like, that's good. I'm happy with it. We'll take it. Yeah, I, I sacrificed one or two tastes of mine in, for the greater good that is that everybody understands everybody's code. So yeah, we at Inaka, we were like 10 developers a couple of years ago and we had that discussion over our Erlang code and it took us a long, long time, like months of talking to get to a point where we had some consistency because also we didn't have any tool to validate that. That's why we created uh, Elvis. And Elvis only warns you. It doesn't format the code yet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think those kind of things in the Elixir community are, are amazing. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, what you're talking about, it, it seems like comes down to community. And in, in some ways, it's, it's not that the airline community isn't a great one, but you brought people into the Elixir community from other communities that had those things. And so they wanted them and they created them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing that happened is that when the Elixir community started and started growing, uh, they were, so I guess somebody will tell me that this, not, this is not the reality, but this is the perspective from this side of the fence, building websites. So it, it, originally it looked like everybody was building a new Phoenix website, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually, I think it was, say, 2015, I think, it was in the Erlang Elixir conference, I think, in San Francisco. That conference always changes names, so I don't know. But that conference, that many talks in Elixir started, started to discuss uh, more Erlangy subjects like distribution, uh, ETS, 
and uh, other kind of stuff that we we have been doing for years. And I think I saw then that connection where somebody from a Dixie site said, hey, I need to distribute this app among many multiple nodes. And somebody from the airline said, yeah, I know how to do it. Look here. And I think that made a click. And that complementary, not com that complementary uh, relationship where people in the Elixir community build great sites or websites or RESTful applications, etc. And uh, the other side of the road, Erlang solution, Erlang people built, knew how to build distributed applications and full tolerance and all that. And together, we built amazing things. I do think it is a credit to both communities. I, I really appreciate how uh, the Erlang community has been welcoming to the Elixir people as they've been coming in. I think it's great. I've been watching, I've watched some of those talks before, especially when I was getting into Elixir. And, you know, I, I was watching these Erlang conferences with, where they were having Elixir guests uh, as presenters. And I've just been very pleased that it has been a, a good collaboration. I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really glad for that. That's been awesome. Yeah, I agree. So do you think these two communities and technologies are going to continue to grow together? And in what ways do you feel like they influence each other? Yeah, I think so. Last year in San Francisco, there was a great mix of talks from some of them Elixir, some of them Erlang, and some of them just both together. If you watched, mm -hmm. I think Simon Thompson's talk, it was basically about how to build systems and it didn't matter if you use Erlang or Elixir. The talks about right. property-based testing, it doesn't really matter if you implement that in Erlang or Elixir. It's something that's common to both of us, to, to everyone here. Myself in particular, this year, I gave a talk that was super Erlang-centric, but it was based on something, uh, it was a talk about opaque data structures, which are structs in Elixir. And so okay. even when I was talking to the Erlang folks, I was saying, hey, look how these people do this thing. It's amazing. We can do the same, you know? And next year, I will, I will be giving a talk about behaviors. And my talk is no longer Erlang behaviors or Elixir behaviors. It's OTP behaviors. It's for everybody. Oh, nice. So That's yeah, I think, I think there are many, many, many shared stories, shared things that we can build together. So yeah, I think growing is is what what's going to happen yeah so one of the things that you'd that we were referring to is this blog post that you have on the 10 lessons from a decade with erlang and i'm just looking at the blog post and we'll include that in the show notes but i'm just curious as to what are if there are a few that you could mention like you just mentioned opaque data structures and you said in elixir that matches up to structs so i think that's really cool so like i hadn't i didn't know about the Erlang equivalent there. Are there any other lessons that you think would be helpful in a general sense for people to just kind of be aware of? Yeah, I think the, the one that I, I put first because it's the most important for me in my experience in these years, which is how we start building stuff over common abstractions. So for a couple of years, I also was an Erlang trainer. And so I, I went to some companies and trained some developers in Erlang. And one of the first lessons in the first week was always about uh, recursion and building functions recursively. And I always finished that lesson with something along the lines of, okay, now you know how to do, how to build stuff recursively. You don't use that anymore <laughs> because 
because now you have higher order functions like uh, list map or enum map or enum each, etc. And the same goes with processes. Yeah, it, in the Erlang world, you you write a, you spawn a process and do a use a bang to send a message to it, and then you receive the message and return something. If you start with that, you will build that kind of thing over and over and over again because all the systems are like that. But you don't because somebody say the OTP team, already built tons and tons of servers with the same behavior, that's exactly the word, mm -hmm. and they abstracted that behavior so that you don't have to, you just implement what's particular to your system. Mm -hmm. And in the, same, in the same way, you can keep abstracting stuff and you don't have, these days, nobody writes, uh, unless it's for fun, Nobody writes an HTTP protocol parser anymore. You have whatever, Cowboy, or you have uh, other libraries like that, and, and you build what you need on top of that. And that way of building things on top of things, I think it's very important, and it's a lesson not to reinvent the wheel, the usual one, that you can learn in whatever, both in Erlang and Elixir, doesn't matter. And it's also now worth knowing that these days you can share that knowledge. If somebody abstracted something and built that library in Elixir, you can use it from Erlang. And the other way around is also true. If you build some, somebody abstracted something in Erlang, you can use that library from Elixir. And so you don't need to, to reinvent that. And I think it's worth knowing the basis, how those things work internally. But, but generally, it's better not to, not to build that kind of stuff all over again. And if you, if you are doing that, abstract that and share that with the community, some other people will benefit from that too. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android. And all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah, so one of the things you were mentioning there is like the behaviors and you're kind of... I just wanted to point out that one of the things you were saying has been the abstraction that's available in OTP is the gen server. That was one of the things you were mentioning and kind of alluding to supervisors. And those are, yes, like it's, it is true. Like through when, when we educate people and introduce them, a lot of times you will start with a spawn just to show how simple something is in terms of starting a new process and sending a message. But yeah, you don't really build a system on that. You're, you're using the other primitives that we build on top of. So yeah, that's a, that's a great one that people can benefit from is just being aware of what are these primitives that are already available. For Spanish speakers... I always recommend the talk by 
Hernán Rivas Acosta, that he gave a talk at the Mexico Elixir Conference about particularly that. He started with, hey, I will send a message to this process, right? Okay, but now I want a, a reply from it. But now I don't want to keep to lose track the, of me being the one sending the, the message. And he screw that thing over and over and over until he built GenServa. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, I think, and also that reflects that story that actually happened. So that's how GenServer was built in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was not somebody doing, saying, all the servers must be this way. It's the other way around. Somebody says, hey, all the servers are this way. Let's put all that repeated code in one single place so we can manage it better. Great. I will include a link to uh, that YouTube talk. It is for our Spanish listeners. Uh, or if you understand Spanish, and then you can benefit from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I asked, I asked uh, Hernán to translate it, but he, he said, no, I already gave it in Spanish. <laughs> let, let other people do that. Yep. Yeah, my, my Spanish is terrible. So I also noticed in your article, you talked about uh, test-driven development. My experience is I've come from... I, I had a very similar path to you, like starting with QBasic, up to QuickBasic, up to dot, and I end, end up going through .NET and other languages. But also, I, I ended up going through Ruby on my path to Elixir. And in Ruby, I really test-driven development and you know was a big part of the community. And so I, I noticed that you're talking about test-driven development. And from an Erlang perspective, how has testing in the Erlang community been, I don't know, how has it been in the past and how has that been influenced by Elixir, if at all? I'm not sure. I'm, not, I, I'm actually not, not very sure of that. Erlang has very good testing frameworks, like common test is one of those things that has, it's like a Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, where you eventually you find, wow, you can do that? Like anything <laughs> you can try, you can do with, with common test. Multiple servers, done. Interconnected nodes, Done. Nodes that start and you stop when you want, done as well. Everything. So, and, and I'm still, after all these years, I'm still discovering that. So that one is very, very powerful. And it's something that I don't really know how, how it translates to Elixir. Because Elixir has XUnit, which is good, but I am yet to, to do the things that I did with, uh, with common tests there. On the other hand, more into actual test-driven development, XUnit is great for that because common test is more for integration tests. So you don't need all that stuff to do test-driven development. And actually, as I, as I mentioned in my article, I am a test-driven developer uh, fanboy because in a, in a similar sense as you, but instead of Ruby, uh, Smalltalk. Mm-hmm. One, of, one of my mentors is a heavy Smalltalk contributor he, he was my professor in uh, university for two years, and and he basically built everything using test-driven development in Smalltalk. But because Smalltalk makes it easy for you, you write the test, it fails, and you have a button that you press, and it creates the function that that's missing. The, then it's missing some arguments, so you have a button, you press the button, and you create the, the arguments that are missing, etc. It's built to work like that. When I started working with Erlang, I already had that background and I wanted something like that. It was not that easy, but also not that hard. So I think I went that road because of that. 
not because it was a standard in the community, but because I wanted to do that. And I, I did what I had to do to get it. Mm-hmm. I think the Elixir community maybe is more influenced by Ruby. And, uh, and so there, are, there is like uh, a general consensus of working like that is mm-hmm. the good way to do it that we don't have in the, or we don't have as much in the Erlang community, but I've seen many Erlangers doing test-driven development as well. It's not that I'm the only one. Well, you mentioned like some of the, the benefits of common test in Erlang. And I know, at least for myself with XUnit and, and the testing that I do with Elixir, I don't know how to spawn another node and have it join and, and have it disconnect and, you know, in, in a testing framework. Um, there may be ways to do that, but that is one thing that I would like to see. Maybe that's another thing that we could borrow and, and kind of in, incorporate in Elixir from what's in the Erlang community. Uh, but yeah, that sounds like a really cool thing because I have built some you know code that is cluster aware and you're talking with services and like you have leadership and of different services and failover. And yeah, I'd love to be able to have integration tests that test with additional nodes. So maybe that is available in Elixir and I just need to learn how, but uh, it's not something I've seen talked about much. So yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, same same thing here. I, I haven't seen it anywhere in, in Elixir yet, but maybe it is there. I, I'm not saying it's not. Anything else we should dive into in this area or should we talk about what is a spawn fest for a minute? Oh, for me, that would be great. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and tell us about spawn fest? All right. Uh, so the story starts in the year 2011 when uh, Yuri organized a contest worldwide for anybody to participate and write some Erlang applications. Then a jury will evaluate evaluated those applications and the prizes provided by the sponsors were awarded to the winners. Uh, Inaka, the company I worked for, was one of the sponsors. We provided some excellent Argentinian wine for, for one of the winners. And we also built a team and participated there. We built, I think it was distributed document editor, if I recall correctly, something like that. It was distributed and we had some browser component where we edited something in the style of Google Docs, also borrowing some libraries from Google Docs. And we built that and we won some, we won a prize. I don't recall what, but something we won. Did you get to keep your Argentinian wine then? Nope. That, that was, that, I, I got to carry the wine to San Francisco to deliver it to, to the winner. Oh, that's cool. And the next year, 2012, the contest was there again, again, organized by Yuri with the sponsors providing prizes. We participated again, but that time we didn't want anything. And so we, we were eagerly waiting to vindicate ourselves in 2013, but there was no contest that year. And the contest was effectively discontinued, mostly because it was a lot of work for just one guy. Imagine it was a 48-hour contest, and Mm -hmm. there was one support individual. So Yuri was awake two nights in a row. I don't think he can do that anymore. And eventually, when Inaka was uh, closed, and the Inaka community was uh, built, we decided that we wanted to do stuff like that. And so one of the ideas that bubbled up was, hey, why don't we do SpawnFest again? And so Marcos and I started last year, we contacted Yuri, and he gave us, he basically gave us everything. He was like, I do want this to happen again. I just cannot do it on my own. So if you take care of everything, it's all yours. 
And so we have the GitHub organization, the Twitter account, and everything else. And we looked for the sponsors. And then we opened registration. And the contest was close to Christmas, around Christmas. And we had 30 teams uh, registered with something around 20 actual repositories, actual applications built. Some other teams either couldn't make that much or they finally didn't participate. So we had 20 projects and we had uh, a great jury with uh, the creators of Erlang, like uh, Joe Armstrong, Robert Bearding, we had uh, René from Credo, uh, etc. So, and, and all of them didn't get anything in return. They spent Christmas Eve analyzing code for just for the fun of it. It was awesome. And we had uh, sponsors like uh, Erlang Solutions or Adderall, Bidesev, etc. that provided, since it was new for them, they didn't know what actual price to give. So they gave, the, they took the easy way out and paid with uh, gift cards from Amazon or, or ThingGeek or I don't know, some other places, SparkFun, etc. It was cool. Everything was a success. Marcos and I were waiting to see something like break miserably and fail, and that didn't happen. So here we are again. This year, uh, we started organizing the thing again. Uh, originally, was planned for somewhere in the middle of the year, but there was a soccer World Cup, and Marcos is a soccer player, a very fan of soccer, so no way he will be organizing anything those days. So we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good he has his priorities straight. Oh, yeah. Very Argentinian <laughs> of us. Yes. And so we added two more people to the team. Now we are four. We have one. We actually added a web designer. So now if you go to the website, it actually looks amazing. Not like last year. It does look good. Uh, yeah. It's, a, it's all the effort of uh, Marco's girlfriend and another guy that's a web developer that we have. And we have, we're three Erlang Elixir developers. Actually, one of us is a closure developer because he created that language. And we have, we are three now for support. We have six uh, judges again, including Miriam Pena, Andrea Leopardi, Kenji, Rene again. So again, super cool. They are doing all that for free. It's amazing. And this year, since we already had experience from last year, we have a tons, ton of sponsors, many more, and we have amazing prizes because now we have a variety of them. If you win this year, you can win a book or a t-shirt or a ticket to a conference or a headset, a video camera, a, a chip, a crisp chip, and also gift cards. And so it's a, a huge. We have already 27, I think, teams registered. And the registration closes this Thursday, 22, November 22. So I, I noticed that it's, uh, it's on the 24th and 25th of November. So I don't think people are going to hear about it on this, from this podcast until after it's over, unfortunately. Okay. But I'll, I'll tweet out about it and let people know ahead of time. But in, any um, case, in, in that case, it was amazing. It was super <laughs> cool. And the, judge, the judges are evaluating the, the things right now. But I did notice that you're saying it's a uh, online development competition. So it's not, I don't have to go to a physical place, right? I can participate maybe like if it's the next year one, but I can, I can just do that remotely, correct? Correct. 
we have people playing from around the world. We have people playing from India, like this year, from India, uh, Denmark. We have a team that is composed by somebody who is in Africa, I think Cameroon, another one in Romania, and another one in, I believe, China. And, and it's like there, from your house, wherever you are. So uh, if people are coming to this after the fact, is there, um, what, what, what can they do? Is there anything they can see or like, I don't know, they can read about the winners or can they see the submissions? Like what can they do after the fact? Yeah, when the, the contest is over and the judges are evaluating the, the entries, we uh, publish, uh, we make all the repositories public. So we, you can see as this, at this point, you can see the entries from last year. They, they are all repositories in this Spawnfest organization in GitHub. And after the contest, all the entries of this year will be public and you will be able to see them. And actually some of the projects from last year and also from 2012 are uh, grew into stuff that it's used somewhere else. So the developers took it away from the organization or fork it uh, and they keep growing. They're, they're a couple of months ago, last year, we have one entry that was the guys built a coordinator for fireworks. So you programmed the order of fireworks and they did that lighting with music, you know, synchronized. That and, sounds uh, really fun. Yeah, and yeah, this does. year, a couple of months ago, they published a video using that software. So they kept developing it after the contest and they actually finished and used it and they have the video with all the fireworks and whatnot. So yeah, there are many things there to see after the after the contest. That's cool. We'll have a link to that uh, at the GitHub SpawnFest uh, repository. Like it's a collection of all the repositories. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they used to do one called Rails Rumble when I was doing Ruby on Rails full time, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. the The only real problem I have with any of these, and, and I understand why they do that, but my Sundays are usually pretty full, and they almost always do it on a Saturday Sunday. And so if I participate, it's like, okay, my 24 hours are up. I'm out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that happens. That happened to me. And as an organizer, you, I cannot, you know, just quit. And, uh, and I, can, I have to still be there. And then I have to compensate that time with my wife and kid. Yeah, it's, it's true. But it's fun. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but you're right. You're talking about how the judges are sitting around and, and they're like just donating their time. To, to reviewing this. And I think that's awesome. And that just shows like how much, uh, how passionate they are about uh, the language and the, the community and what they're doing. So uh, yes, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah. So, so next year, folks, because you missed it this year, I'll tell you the winner was sick. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was amazing. Mind blown. I, I can't even describe to you <laughs> how awesome it was. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And then you also organize some conferences, don't you? I organized a conference, uh, one, but I also helped, while I was at Erlang Solutions, I helped uh, organizing the, the conference in San Francisco. And I have the goal of organizing another one eventually, but, but don't have any planned right now. But yeah, last year we organized Elixir. It was Codebeam Lite, same thing, mm -hmm. in, uh, in Buenos Aires which was the first BIM-related conference uh, in South America. So that was cool. Congrats. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. This year, 
we planned to do the same, a continuation of that one. But instead of Buenos Aires, we were thinking of moving to Colombia. But one of the organizers that was uh, planning to do that with me from Colombia, because I'm in Buenos Aires, actually got a, an amazing job opportunity in Dubai. And yeah, I can organize a conference in South America, but in Dubai, it's really hard. So, so yeah, it was postponed. So next year, maybe, if I find somebody else willing to, to join me in the organization, sure. Very, very cool. All right. Well, anything else you want to ask, Mark? Dive into? The only other thing I was just kind of curious about is you talked about Dialyzer. And, oh gosh, there's actually a lot that I'd love to talk about. But I know we don't have time. We, we, uh, we have a window of time and we don't want to take more of your time. But so, so there's Dialyzer. I was also curious about, uh, like you organize a meetup. And, and as I also have a, or organize a, a, an Elixir meetup. So I'm just curious about with meetups, uh, how have you found it uh, to be most successful? Do, are you encouraging, would you, I don't know, do you do it where it's Erlang and Elixir or all functional programming languages or like what kind of meetup is it that you're uh, running and how does that work for you? Mm. It's a whole story, that one. We started with, uh, with an Erlang meetup and actually we, we started that for very, very selfish reasons. I, Chad and I wanted to practice our talks for the Erlang Factory 2012 <laughs> and we needed some audience and so we organized a meetup, period. And that one, the first one was somewhat popular. We had 10 people, which is super small, but for a, for a community that was not even there before, it was uh, enough. And from those... I still work with one. I'm friends with another one. And another one is part of the Inaka community these days. And actually, it was just that. A couple of talks. And then nobody knew exactly what to do in a meetup. So everybody went home, went back home. But then uh, Francesco came to Buenos Aires. And so we organized a meetup with Francesco. And that one was extremely popular. The, the whole office was crowded with people. And Francesco actually gave me a couple of pieces of advice that were super useful in organizing the meetup, like do it regularly, don't despair if nobody comes around. They will, if you keep doing it, it will be, it will become, uh, you will get regulars and whatnot. And, you know, get in, get in touch with the people to, to make them uh, present and give talks so they bring their friends, et cetera, et cetera. And so, with time and after a couple of meetings where we, in, a, in one meeting, we actually had one person <laughs> attended, just one. That's it success. Was, yeah, we had, we had three speakers, one listener, but we did it anyway, like following Francesco's advice, we moved straight ahead, like you are a, our audience, we talk to you. And, and we did the talks and everything. Then we went out from some, for some beers and whatnot. And, um, but then we added streaming because that's another thing. Mm. So we, are, we have a meetup in Buenos Aires, but the Erlang community in Argentina in general is not much bigger than the community in Buenos Aires. There are three, four more developers around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and so to reach out to them because they were actually even more interested in participating than the ones living close by, we added streaming, and so everybody can watch the, the event as they happen. And we, since we are already adding streaming for participants, 
we also had a streaming for speakers. We had, maybe you know him, it's Mariano Guerra, it's a guy from Argentina, and he created a language called FN, that's, it's like Python on the Beam. Mm. And mm. so he also gave a talk there uh, remotely because he lives in, in Germany somewhere. And with that approach and the constant repetition of, uh, of meetups, we started growing. And, and also some other companies started using Erlang and Ericsson and sending uh, speakers or organizing the event in their offices. And so by this time, we are about 25, 30, maybe up to 50, depending on the meetup. And we are doing them uh, regularly in different places, which is something I, I believe was, was going to be complicated when Inaka closed because Inaka was hosting the meetups. Mm-hmm. Uh, but turns out that that thing actually was good because other people said, hey, since we no longer meet up in, in, at Inaka's offices, I want to offer my office for that. And yeah, it's cool. Nice. Nice. I think it's, it's all a matter of not giving up. You, so you have being consistent, keep yeah, meeting. Be, and then like, yeah. it sounds like a big key there was um, streaming to, to yeah. especially if you don't have a, a very small number of developers in your uh, immediate area. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, in the, in the last meetup, I think we had some people watching from Mexico because oh, that, that's another thing. There is kind of a community of meetup organizers. So I am a friend with the, the guy that organizes the meetups in Mexico City, Norberto Ortigosa, and, and he watches our streaming. I watch their streaming and so. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, Utah's Elixir group should do streaming. That would be really cool if we could pull that off on a consistent it's basis. Oh, that's one thing. It's, it's really, really not hard because all you need to do is uh, open up a Hangout, a Google Hangout on air and get the speaker to share the screen and just play it because it goes through YouTube. Mm. Of course, it will, not be, it will not have the quality of a conference talk right. because you will, you will only be able to watch the screen and it's like yeah. a screencast. Yeah, you're not cutting but, back and forth. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you have all the intermediate, like between the talks, rumble in the background. Mm-hmm. But, but that's far, far better than nothing. So That's true. Yep. Shoot for good enough, not perfection, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Well, if people want to follow what you're working on these days, where do they go? The Inaka community mostly. Or also Spawnfest as well, yes. I think... From without, like outside Adderall, that day, that's my day job, but you don't see much of what I do there. You can see me in a, as a member of the Inaka community, so in our open source repos, the website, that's awful, but we will fix that eventually. And uh, also giving talks in conferences. Oh, and I'm also a moderator on the Erlang Slack. I'm, I'm part of the Elixir Slack, but it's overwhelming for me. I cannot work. If I have to pay attention to that Slack, I will be dead. So <laughs> it moves fast. There's a lot going yeah. on there. Yeah, the there's a there's ton of stuff. In the airline community, in the airline Slack is much the random channel goes fast, but I mute that one. <laughs> uh, we have a deal with the other moderators that every once in a while we check what's going on there, but we basically let it be. But uh, but the other the other channels are far slower than the 
than the Elixir ones. I'm going to get in so much trouble over there if you're not watching. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, are, are you on uh, Twitter or? Oh, yeah. I'm assuming I am, you're also uh, on GitHub and things like that. Yeah, I am El Brujo Alcon everywhere. Like Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Skype, uh, IRC. No, that, that was uh, a number. But, <laughs> but yeah, whatever, anywhere. Anywhere I am El Brujo Alcon. And there is actually an about me page for that. So if you go about me, El Brujo Alcon, that's me. Nice. Well, let's go ahead and get some picks. For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Mark, you have some picks for us? Sure do. I wanted to pick, actually, it's Zoom meeting, as we've ever uh, heard of it. Yeah, that's what we use right now. It's uh, it's cross-platform. I actually really enjoy it because uh, recently we had an Elixir, a Utah Elixir meetup, and we had a remote guest. And I was able to use Zoom meeting, just the free account for that. Mm-hmm. And to to record the remote, you know, the both sides of it, and then kind of package it up and, and share that as a YouTube video. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just think it's a great tool. And there's, there's a lot of people who use it professionally. But just even as um, just for coordinating with people, just doing remote stuff, like even remote meetups with things like that, I think it's great. And so I pick Zoom meeting. Awesome. I've got a pick. It's kind of an interesting one. Um, I've been playing around with some, I guess, less well-known social uh, media. And one that I found, it's open source. And it's essentially like, if you remember the old program TweetDeck, for Twitter, it looks a lot like that. And uh, it, it's a distributed Twitter, essentially. Um, it's called Mastodon. I went and joined up on the mastodon.technology instance. But uh, you can connect with people on other instances from there. So you can follow people all over the place. And anyway, it's just been uh, kind of fun and kind of interesting to, to dive in and see what it's all about. So uh, I'm going to pick that. And I, I think that's all I've got right now. Brujo, what, what are your picks? So one thing before that, I am also on Mastodon. I am on Mastodon Social. And again, I am El Brujo Algon there. So feel free to follow me. Um, my pick, I think I will choose one, but it's tricky because it has some other thing inside. But one thing we didn't mention during this uh, conversation was uh, meta testing and the library for Erlang called Katana Test. That does just that. The concept is very simple. Within your continuous integration tests, you also test your code for typing with dialyzer or missing functions or stuff like that with xref and with, with the linter. Like in, in, in Erlang, it's, uh, it's Elvis. So 
I don't know if there is anything like that for Elixir, but you can build one for Spawnfest, maybe next year. Or even if you don't, just keeping in mind that besides the test, there are more things you can check on your code, like uh, Dialyzer with Dialyxir, which is a good tool. Xref, I think it works out of the box for both languages, doesn't matter. And uh, in Elixir, I think it's Credo, it's the official linter. And I would very much recommend adding those things so that your tests don't, uh, are not green if you don't uh, comply with all those tools, because otherwise adding those tools later in the game, it's a suffering. Starting from day zero with that, it's much, much better. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. Thank you, guys. It's, uh, it was awesome. It was cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.